it sounds like a very simple thing to do, but I don't think people question their processes enough. Hello, listener, and thank you so much for joining us for episode 96 of Good Copy, Bad Copy, the B2B copywriting podcast. This month, we're talking about how and why you can make sure your B2B content is diverse and inclusive. In particular, why you can't leave that to chance and how we can address that in a sector like B2B where, if we're honest, a lot of the conversation is dominated by middle-aged white men like me. Um, In a couple of minutes, we'll bring you a really thought-provoking conversation about this very subject with Natalie Nahr, who's a content creative at Ogilvy and vice chair of Ogilvy Roots. And later, junior copywriter Lizzie Cresswell will bring you her copywriting tip of the month. My name's David Maguire. I'm creative director at Radix Communications, which is a B2B tech copywriting agency. And joining me as guest co-host for this episode, we have the newly promoted assistant editor at B2B Marketing, no less, Kavita Singh. Kavita, welcome. Hello, David. How are you? I'm, I'm well, thank you. And congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, newly promoted, uh, which is very, very exciting. A nice little silver lining to what's been a couple of you know, weird couple of years. <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all been a bit strange. I mean, I guess, you know, being sort of an assistant editor at, at B2B Marketing, you see a, a lot of how things are in, in B2B across all the different... How are people getting on? Yeah, no, it's crazy, actually. Um, you know, I think that, you know, when the, the pandemic first happened, there was a lot around empathy and just showing a ton of empathy for everyone. And that's sort of, you know, what started out. And then now it's become sort of like the new normal for everyone. Um, and even just, you know, being an American, I haven't seen my family physically. This has been the longest time. It's been over two years now. Oh, goodness. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a challenging time for sure. And has it been sort of strange being an, an American in, in London with everything locked down? I think what's what's weird is I I feel like a little bit of a, a bystander in a way. Um, a lot's happened just like in the news with with um, Joe Biden becoming president. Obviously, we're going to talk about Black Lives Matter in a little bit. Um, but yeah, just kind of being a bystander, it, it felt really like it wasn't even happening because I was here in London. I wasn't actually experiencing it firsthand. Uh, but I think what made it feel surreal was actually talking to my family, my friends that were experiencing it in, in the U.S., uh, I can't wait to talk about that in a, in a moment. But um, before that, can I ask you to perform your first official duty as co-host and tell the listener how they can get in touch with us? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. So listeners, if you have any comments, questions or suggestions, you can contact the show by email. Podcast at radix-communications.com Or on Twitter. R-A-D-I-X-C-O-M that's perfect thank you awesome okay great um so coincidentally this podcast is going out almost exactly one year after the black lives matter protest began following the murder of george floyd and david you've got an interview about what's changed in the past year and what this all means for listeners b2b marketing content Yeah, that's right. I mean, we've spoken before on this podcast about the importance of being 
very deliberate and being intentional about making content that includes and represents your entire audience, not just people that kind of look like me. Um, You know, for example, in episode 69, we talked about the gender say gap and how it's so important to do that stuff on purpose, because however well-meaning you are, it doesn't just happen, right? Mm -hmm. So I caught up with Natalie Nahr, who's vice chair of Ogilvy Roots. That's a network that champions greater ethnic and cultural diversity within Ogilvy uh, and the work it produces, uh, as well as championing that in the advertising industry as a whole. Natalie's a content creative, so I wanted to ask her on behalf of our listener, who's you know, making B2B marketing content, why is this important for us to think about? In terms of the creative industry, I always see us as a mirror to society. So it's all about creating opportunities to put more people in that reflection. And obviously with everyone hopefully having an open mind, it helps us to interact and um, produce things a lot better in the long run. So from a business from a business perspective, it's also really important to target all the right audiences and do so in such a way that actually impacts their lives positively. Very few people, I guess, actually do think of themselves as as racist or people don't like it. So why is it important that they would think about this on purpose? Because, I mean, they might be thinking, well, you know, I'm writing about SaaS platforms or something. Why is it important that, that I think about diversity? Yeah, for someone who doesn't consider themselves as racist, they they might not be actively racist. However, they might be in situations where they are upholding practices and structures in society that facilitate things that make things very difficult for black people and minorities in general. So it's all about addressing that unconscious bias and working through the things that you might not have typically paid attention to before that would help work to a better society, especially with SAS, where the whole the whole point of tech is to make life easier for everyone, right? And mm. if you're not considering the practices of certain people, you might be only you might think you might be solving a problem for a wide set of people when you're only solving a problem for the standard. And the whole beauty of innovation is to really like think outside the box and to think of different ways to solve problems. And if that process doesn't involve diversity, then you're not really stretching yourself as much as you should be. So especially in relation to B2B practices, where it's almost like um, organizations like to like weld everything into one big thing. But then if more businesses were more intentional about being empathetic towards each other, they might actually get greater outputs than they expected because it's it's always so funny with businesses where it's like for a business to thrive, you almost have to detach the heart from things. But then the past year and a half has shown that because we don't really have the heart, everything else is crumbling. Mm. What can a listener do practically if they're making B2B marketing content what can they practically do to make sure that they are uh being intentional about um accounting for diversity it's always about actually trying to break down what it is you're saying it sounds like a very simple thing to say but then there are so many um things that one can bring up where it's like who did this go through before it went live or who did this go through before it went to like x um business etc and it's 
always like thinking about how you might perceive it and then kind of putting yourself in the shoes of someone else to see how other parties might perceive it as well. And I think if more um, businesses did that at every stage of um, production, they would then get to realize how um, the story changes over time. And once again, I'm, I'm going back to the fact that it sounds like a very simple thing to do, but I don't think people question their processes enough. And I think if, 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 that, if that was done more often, especially once again, from an empathetic point of view, I'm all about empathy because I think <laughs> we, we tend to put ourselves in situations where we don't allow ourselves to actually understand what it is we are saying. And even things like um, accessibility, if, 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 if we're planning for this to sit on a particular channel, how, how are we ensuring that people who have um, visual or hearing impairments are able to actually get the same information that an able-bodied person might be able to get? And it's thinking about all of those things once again at every single stage of the process that will help us refine our work to a stage where everyone, and like by everyone I mean everyone in the sense of the word is able to get the message even between businesses that's that's intended to be exchanged so are there particular uh points or tips that think people can remember and, and and bear in mind all right so there's five points content delivery medium audience and accessibility content is all about asking yourself what am i saying so actually getting to the root of the message delivery is how are you saying it? And once again, this is all about being intentional about the tone in which you're saying what you're saying and how that defines the audiences that you end up targeting as a result of that. The third is medium. Where am I saying it? As usual, the channel always matters and the channels also determine who ends up um, hearing what you're saying. And in that same lens, your channels can also determine the people that you might be intentionally or unintentionally leaving out. Fourth is audience. Who am I saying it to? And once again, at this stage, it's all about questioning the potential people that you might be leaving out of the conversation. So turning that on its head allows you to actually assess your gray areas and blind spots in ensuring that you're actually reaching the full span of people that you intend to. And then lastly is accessibility. Can everyone access this? So this could be accessibility in terms of things like race, gender, etc. But this could also be in terms of accessibility, can people read or hear this message? And when you put all of these five things together, you then discover that you've, you've got a really inclusive set of work that actually targets your initial audience, but then you're also tapping into spaces that you wouldn't have typically gone into before. And um, especially with like B2B as well, it's also about thinking... Um, about the situations where you also question the morals of the businesses that you're communicating to. And I think that's also one thing that we might not do as often as we should. Do your morals align? Do your values align? Do your messages align as a result of that? So it's, it's always one thing in believing in something. And then there's obviously another in how you communicate that to other people. I'm thinking about our audience in B2B, it's a, it's a sector that is, you know, it's stereotypically 
very, very white, and in some cases quite male. Um, when we're looking to improve representation, how can we do that without falling into sort of accusations of, of tokenism or, you know, always asking the, the few people of colour we know what they think and what their experience is all the time so that it gets annoying and they think that that's the only reason that we're talking to them. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes personal contact should be your last point of contact. And mm. it's always more useful when you show that you've already done your research or maybe you just want to quickly clarify on something as opposed to putting the entire ask on their heads to, um, to get done. And then secondly, I think it's important to outline the differences between diversity and in inclusion here, because diversity is all about getting people into the building, right? And that can happen, but then without inclusion, you're not really hitting the right tones because inclusion is all about making people feel like they actually belong in those spaces. And um, it's always a tricky one because sometimes in the attempt to make people feel more included they feel more excluded because it's almost like you're making a very special case for them mm. to be mm. let in and that's and that's always tricky because from um from a surface level it's like oh but we're trying to help we've gone out of our way to do this for you but then for some people it's also about the fact that exactly you've gone through all of this <laughs> For me, yeah. why am I so special that like, you, ha you, ha you have to do all of these extra things just to make me feel like I'm one of you guys, in, in quotes. And um, I always say that, always ask the people personally in those departments. Don't take it from a broad level. And I guess the main thing to remember here is um, one Black person's experience is exactly that, one Black person's experience and mm -hmm. it's always important to remember that you can't expect a group, a tiny group of people to speak for an entire race. So once again, the research thing comes here and doing your own form, educating yourself and just using them as a point of reference and always ensuring that you're creating experiences that cater to them personally, as opposed to assuming mm -hmm. what they are based on general stereotypes. And I assume that's sort of the same for, for everybody, for all the kinds of inclusion that we need, right? Because, I mean, you could have the same conversation with somebody, you know, around, you know, for inclusion around, say, neurodiversity or gender or something like that. You know, I, I suppose talking to people and asking them how you can help them feel included and that kind of thing, if, if that's a thing that, that is happening as standard for everybody, because everyone's an individual, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I did want to ask you, you mentioned um, research there. Is there a really good place where our listener could start looking for that research? Uh, Robin Walker. Okay. So he's one person who um, likes to document black history and talk about he, he has tons of lectures online. But then there's also another organisation called A Tribe Called Progress. And they're all about um, curating black history and educating people on um, black history and how to move forward as a result of what they've learned. So I would say those are two um, quick start points. Robin Walker on YouTube and then A Tribe Called Progress. Great. That's really super. Thank you. Um, one final thing I guess I, I, I wanted to talk about is that 
the fact this podcast will, quite by coincidence, will, will come out a year almost to the day since the, the death of George Floyd. What, if anything, do you feel has changed this year? Um, I think between 2020 and 2021, what's, what's changed is definitely a sense of accountability to an extent. There's more visibility to the issues but what's also more apparent is just how much more work we have to do. But at least the positive in that is um, identifying that there's an issue in the first place. Because the first step to any solution is always acknowledging the fact that there's a problem. So I think in terms of 2021 and beyond, we're hopefully going to be moving more and more into a space where um, people can actively acknowledge and actively is a very key word here, actively acknowledge that racism is an issue that needs to be solved. And I guess it's also about realizing that it doesn't just cut across like police brutality. It cuts across literally every single structure in society. And the more people start to realize that the easier it will become to um, address those issues as well. So yeah, I think I think the main the main thing this year has definitely been more visibility and more um attention to the problems that need to be addressed. Um I think the main thing that I would add to this is once again it sounds very simple but everything mm-hmm. literally starts at home because you spend most of the time with well, most people spend most time with the people at home and the things that you're raised up Um, believing are how you end up seeing the world generally for the rest of your life (laughs) and if and if more people were more intentional about um addressing racism in their homes then it, it it encourages more people to call it out at work at school in pubs basically any public place where you have a sense of relationship with other people and the more people start to do that the more it starts to affect society at a wider scale so i i I, that's definitely something i would always say like literally start at home uh natalie where can the listener find out more about you or your work or ogilvy roots so in terms of Ogilvy Roots, there's more information about that on our website. So that's ogilvy.com. And in terms of me, um, you can find me on Instagram. That's N-A-T-A-L-I-I-E underscore N. Um, it's the same on Twitter. And um, yeah, that's basically where you would find me and my thoughts online. Thanks for your time, Natalie. I learned such a lot there. Uh, Kavita, what stood out for you in that conversation? Okay, well, there was a lot of really great stuff. I mean, I think the the five points around content, delivery, medium, audience, and accessibility, I think it's just absolutely brilliant because for a lot of people that haven't started anything around diversity and content or di- diversity initiatives in general, Um, they might be scratching their heads not knowing where to start. And I think that's a really good blueprint for them to start questioning things in a more, I guess, nuanced way. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of, it's it's important to have a blueprint, whatever it is almost. So something that you do on purpose. The big change for me feels like it's going from just hoping that this stuff will take care of itself to actually doing it intentionally and having a, a blueprint. 
Exactly. I think that's the right word. It, just being intentional about it um, and, and just holding yourselves accountable for, for these types of diversity initiatives as well. Um, I think also what kind of stood out, um, and I really, I really loved a lot of things that Natalie said, but what really stood out too was her kind of talking about people, they're not being outwardly racist. I mean, coming from America, I've come across people that are outwardly racist. Um, sure. But yeah, uh, in my university, just to backtrack a little bit, um, mm. I was editor-in-chief for my newspaper. And funny enough, not so funny, but I actually received a letter from the KKK. Um, <sighs> I know. And I... So it was, I had cited them as a hate group in one of my features and they, they were just writing to say they, they weren't a hate group, but also they were doing this weird, like shameless plug for a book that they were coming out with. Um, and it was really surreal, but like in the back of my head, it felt like this had happened because, you know, this was when Trump was elected president. Mm-hmm. Um, the college, that, the college town that I went to, it was a very conservative area as well. The university itself was diverse, but the location was quite conservative in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. And I felt like people felt empowered to, to spew that, those kind of views onto me. And I think that's what actually happens in businesses is more so it's not those outward macroaggressions. It's more of those microaggressions. But that's equally as harmful because it adds up to that narrative of people not feeling seen or understood or just minorities feeling marginalized. Um, and I think what I really liked is that those are feelings that I've experienced before, but Natalie was able to kind of word it in a way that I haven't been able to put into words myself. Um, so that's what I really liked too. Yeah. And I, and I guess that's a, um, it's a thing that having seen some of that in America, you'll have probably you know, then seen it here with the, the fallout of of Brexit and and that kind of thing, where maybe not everyone's being racist, but it's kind of what the mood music is that enables then the racists to think it's okay. Yeah, definitely. It just amplifies their own voice, um, you know, because I I've experienced sort of racist. It's more internalized racism. It's more microaggressions that are sort of that sort of come my way. But I, I don't think I've ever really felt empowered to really talk about these things until last year. And I think that's why last year was was so transformative in talking about these issues, because, you know, at a time when Trump was president, he other people felt empowered to start saying their own more conservative views. Whereas last year, I felt empowered to kind of say, actually, that's not OK to, to talk about to talk about race in that way. Yeah, and, and it, it's difficult. I, mean, I think you've got so many people who are well-meaning but don't actually get it. <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know exactly. and I say that myself as a you know, white middle-aged man who will get things wrong on, on a regular basis, but it's about being open to learning and it's about being open to you know, accept that sometimes you'll get it wrong and you need to keep trying, right? Exactly. Well, it's it's interesting because a lot of people will say, you know, that wasn't in my that wasn't my intention. But it's truly about the impact and the harm that it's projecting onto other people. It's not about the intention, um, and I think that's where a lot of people are at fault. Sure. Yeah, and I think that's the 
that's the thing that, you know, a lot of us have just been brought up going, as long as your intentions are okay, that that's fine. Um, which I guess is where mm-hmm. we kind of come into to B2B marketing, you know, as a, as a sector, um, mm-hmm. you know, and because it's, um, well, I mean, let me ask you, I mean, is it as um, white and male as the, as the stereotype or are those just the spokespeople that we see? So I actually struggle to kind of give you a definitive answer because, you know, it's not as simple as saying, oh, well, you know, there isn't enough diversity or there aren't enough black people in marketing. There are, but I just think that maybe we're not giving them the same opportunities to grow within the sector or to give them the platform to use their voice. Um, For example, uh, I did a a feature on microaggressions. I spoke with um, someone named Tina Morwani. Um, and she she said this really amazing quote. She said, I have it written down. Um, People don't just become hidden figures. They're marginalized into being that way because their narrative is trivialized and belittled. Um, and I think that's a really powerful quote because, you know, sometimes it's, it's workplace culture, too, that sort of adds to that. Um, for example, black women, they're one of the, the least represented in senior leadership roles. But they're also prone to stereotypes such as, you know, she's aggressive or she's bossy. And that's that sort of internalized racism that I was talking about. People don't realize that they're they're sort of stereotyping, but it's workplace culture and bits like that that can add up to that lack of representation and growth. Um, So, yeah, I think I think it's it's hard to kind of give you that like yes or no answer. Um, I think it's just Mm. it's such a complex issue. Yeah. And I know it's it's something that you know B two B marketing as an organisation um, has been, has been working hard on. Um, mm-hmm. Have you seen changes in the the way that you work or the the people that you were approach for comment or anything like that? Has it been has it been hard? Um, you know, at first, I actually just reached out in a more general sense of not like diversity in B two B marketing, but just diversity in general. Um, Amanda Phone, she's from F1 Recruitment, um, and she is the co-founder of this program, um, BAME 2020. She's one of the first people that I reached out to for an article. And, you know, I had to also brief her and say, you know, this is specifically for a B2B sector um, because she just does business and recruitment in general. Um, mm. But interestingly enough, what I found was that by me starting the conversation in that sort of general sense of how can we just be more inclusive in the workplace, um, my inbox has just flood has been flooded with sort of campaigns, different research studies that are being done now, and I've been seeing sort of this progression of more more companies, specifically in B two B, that are focusing on diversity initiatives, um, and I think um, you know last year in June. I I noticed there was just this stark difference between the UK and the US when the events with George Floyd happened. Like when I went on mm. LinkedIn, um, I saw an immediate focus um, or immediate shift from the US where they showed immediate support for their employees. Whereas I think in the UK, there was almost this hesitancy to address such a personal thing like that. Um but it's not a regional issue. It's a societal issue at the end of the day. Um, and I think that that hesitancy has kind of been broken where I think it's it's something that 
companies have taken accountability for and are, are starting to course correct. And that's just the progression that I've seen. But I definitely think back in June, it would have, I think it could have been handled differently in the UK in terms of showing that immediate support for your customers, your employees, and your clients, specifically Black employees, because to have such like a hate crime be done where, you know, someone has so much animosity because you exist as a human being, that's a mm. really painful experience. And I, I just thought it was so important to show that that empathy right away. And I know Natalie talked about showing that empathy and bringing that into the workplace. And, you know, with COVID too, those, those lines have been blurred um, between your personal and your professional life. So I think it's just going to be even more of a progression moving forward. Oh, yeah, yeah, I hope so. Mm-hmm. Are you um, happy to share any of kind of your your personal experiences of of coming into the industry as a, a woman of color? Of course, yeah. Um, so just to to kind of backtrack, like I was I was born and raised partly in the Bronx, um, and I always wondered if I I might be a bit a bit more confident in my voice had I just grown up purely in in New York City because um, I, I moved to New, to upstate New York when I was nine years old. And I grew up in a predominantly white community um, around me, being the only person of color in a lot of my classes. And um, it's a very jarring experience because I I felt like I kind of gave in to a lot of what I would call like white pressure to fit in with everyone else. Like I felt like I needed to accommodate for other people. I think it's a very natural feeling, by the way, just wanting to like fit in um, growing up. But I kind of let people say things that weren't really okay at the time. but I wanted to hide the fact that I was different. And as I got older and I started writing as a journalist, I always felt comfortable talking about social issues, but like specifically like the gender gap. But then there was almost this like residual guilt and shame from from being whitewashed most of my life. Um, but I think now as a journalist, I think it's just so important to bring awareness to these issues um, because last year there were so many articles that I read Um, in June of 2020 that made me feel seen and understood as a human for the first time and it's just really validating to to feel like oh those those sort of microaggressions that I've experienced they're real like you know it it can be such small things but they add up after a while like for example um, in job interviews you know, obviously people people see that I'm a brown person and they say, you know, where are you from? And I say, oh, I'm from New York because um, they know my accent. But they're not really asking that. They're saying, oh, no, where are you really from? And it's just little things like that that makes me feel like, you know, I'm being defined and judged by my race when I want to be recognized for my own talents. So I think now with the content I'm currently doing, I just hope it does the same. Like, I hope you know, that there's this space for people to to feel comfortable and included. And that includes B2B specifically, um, because if that space doesn't exist, you know, you have to create it and then claim it. Yeah. I mean, what struck me is that it's a thing that people in B2B, I don't think, think about a lot, mm-hmm. you know, make more so now than they did. Um, so I went out and asked people on um, social media. Mm-hmm. What's the most challenging thing about creating content that's inclusive of your entire audience? And all the answers that I got were like, yeah, it's really difficult because it's such a complex buying journey. You have, you have to take account of, 
of procurement and and IT and you know and all these and and they're thinking you know people are thinking about so many different um, parts of the decision making unit. They're thinking of so many different personas that they that they have to. Oh yeah, persona inflation is really terrible. This, that, and the other. And it almost <laughs> didn't. I actually had to go back and go. I think I was actually talking about reflecting races and genders and ability and, you know, all of these things. And I think because it's such a complex picture anyway, I think people have just have their head full of that. And maybe it doesn't occur to them that the reality of the people who are going to read their stuff and are going to buy their stuff, you know, those people are more diverse than the people that we tend to see in a lot of the content from those companies, whether it's, you know, not necessarily just having pictures of people, but the people that are quoted, the people that are um, held up as experts and and spokespeople. I, I don't know if that's, you know, how, how your experience of the industry is or whether, whether I'm just making loads of assumptions there. No, definitely. I think it's so, it's so overwhelming. You know, there are there's so many different streams of diversity. Like you said, there's ability and gender and race. There's all these different aspects that go into it. It can be so overwhelming to even know where do we, you know, where do we begin with that? Um, and I think you just have to to, to sort of dive in. There, there isn't like a, a right or wrong. And I think a lot of people probably just feel uncomfortable um, talking about race. And it's something I think they need to address. Mm. And, you know, if if they do feel uncomfortable, I think they have to ask themselves why. You know, for me, like I've, I'm someone who's a person of color who felt uncomfortable talking about it um, for a while. Yeah. And I, I think that's a normal feeling. It's okay. And, you know, it could be because of, you know, something from your childhood. It could be from, you know, you're you're not able to address your own privilege. It could be various reasons, but I think you just have to ask yourself why. And I also think it's really important to make sure that it's everyone within your company that's addressing these issues. Because if you leave it to the people of color um, to talk about these issues, it can be a burden after a while. It can be frustrating because not only do we have to experience these things, but we feel like we have to educate others as well. Mm. Um, so it can get it can get pretty exhausting <laughs> after a while of feeling like, well, you can you can do some of the work as well. Sure, you know, and I think you know, kind of Natalie talked, um, you know, a lot about that, not <laughs> and quite well, I thought about not expecting a small group of people to speak for an entire, an entire race, you know, or, you know, an entire race or an entire gender or, or, or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I think that that's a important thing to bear in mind. I really liked what she was talking about when, you know, when she was talking about being, um, treating each person as an individual mm-hmm. because, you know, one black person's experience is one black person's experience and what one person might need and another person might need would be entirely different. And hopefully through doing that, that's something where you can look to address um, different 
kinds of potential exclusion and potential intersectionalities between those as well. Um, you know, and all of the many different kinds of, of diversity by treating each person as a person, you know, and, and, and recognizing them in their own right. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, too, if you if you do say something that offends someone else that, you know, it's it, you're not this this villain. There's a really great book about um, white fragility. And it's something where a lot of people, if they get called out, they just feel like this defense kind of reaction, defensive sort of reaction. Um, I just think it's so it's so important just to treat people like a human being. And if you do mess up, that's okay. As long as you course correct, that's the most important thing is sort of apologizing and then just moving, just sort of moving on from there, but taking that into account of like, okay, that wasn't okay to say about someone. Um, that's okay. You know, people grow up in different environments where they just aren't exposed to you know, maybe a, a more diverse group of people. And that's okay. It's it's just about being open to, to learning about these issues. Um, as someone yourself that's creating content in the, in, in the sector, in an organization that's being, um, you know, intentional about improving diversity and that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. are, are, are there any kind of particular tips or ideas um, that you've seen or that you use yourself um, that, that that our listener could try if they if they you know want to make sure that their content is better and more inclusive. Yes, definitely. Um, I would say number one is around consistency. Um, if you're writing on a semi regular basis, you'll be learning so much, absorbing so much, and be able to actually talk about these issues as well a bit more comfortably. Um, so I would say if you do want to do more diversity content, set a target, you know, for us, we do a monthly feature or blog and, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's around mental health. You know, I've done one on psychological safety in the workplace. You know, these all contribute to, to different aspects of diversity and it helps keeps it, you know, having that set target, it helps keep us accountable and constantly learning as well. So I would say definitely try to try to write diversity content in, in, with consistency. Um, and I would say the second thing is um, sort of just get comfortable being uncomfortable. If you leave it to the people of color to speak upon these issues, it's going to get frustrating um, and it's a burden on our backs. Um, and I do think it is important that if you're afraid to speak upon these issues, you you do have a lot of resources at your disposal. I mean, we have it right at our fingertips. Um, and I think just doing sort of that background research is the most important thing too. you know, a white male can know just as much as I do. Um, you don't have to experience these things to educate yourself. Okay, so it's almost the end of the show, but first we just have enough time for our copywriting tip of the month. This time is from junior copywriter Lizzie Cresswell. Copywriting tip of the month! My copywriting tip of the month isn't a writing tip per se, it's about proofreading. If you've been writing and looking at words all day, when you need to read through someone else's, it can be tricky to see the wood for the trees. So instead, use the read aloud function on Word under the review tab. It forces you to focus on every word and actually hear how a sentence reads, helping you spot slightly less obvious typos, repeated words and clunky phrasing more easily. I use it pretty much every time and it can be a lifesaver. 
Copywriting tip of the month. Thanks, Lizzie, for fitting uh, in the time to do that for us. I uh, I know uh, personally how very busy you get, so it's much appreciated. Uh, sadly, that is, can you believe, all we have time for in this episode. Um, thanks, Kavita, for being such an awesome co-host. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. Has it been all right? Yeah, no, it's been such a it's been such a first. This is a great first podcast for me as a guest. <laughs> Oh, I'm super, uh, I'm super touched by that. Thank you. Uh, you, you would never know <laughs> that, that, that this was a, that this was a, a first one. Um, you sound super confident. I think it's the New York thing. Yeah. Um, so if the listener wants to get in touch and to, uh, to, to find out some more from you, how can they do that? Thank you guys for listening. Um, you guys can DM me a message on LinkedIn. If you read any of the diversity content that we're doing with B2B marketing, um, we also have monthly blogs that we do around diversity and mental health. You guys can check that out right on our website. And thanks once again to Natalie for sharing what we can all learn from Ogilvy Roots. Thanks, Lizzie, for your copywriting tip uh, and to everyone who engaged with us on, on social media. Uh, most importantly, thank you, listener, for your company. And, and don't forget, if you'd like to contact the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us a voice memo by email podcast at radix-communications.com or just hit us up on the twitter at radix.com that's r-a-d-i-x-c-o-m and by the way if you're listening on apple podcasts we'd really appreciate a review thanks ever so much and until next time remember justice is what love looks like in public In private, it looks like cookie dough ice cream.